It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Earth Day, April 22nd, 2021. My name is Claudio Mendonca, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Despite the hopes of many Central Valley farmers, the governor has declared emergency drought orders for just two counties, Mendocino and Sonoma. Tonight's California report has the details. Then, after taking a look at regional headlines and weather, we'll listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week and Bravehearts. Tonight we hear part two of an interview with Tony Beverly. We'll close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom has issued a drought emergency declaration for Mendocino and Sonoma counties. At a news conference yesterday, he said his administration is closely watching to see if things get worse. Parts of the state are in extreme conditions like this. Other parts of our state are not experiencing the kind of extreme conditions that we're experiencing here in Northern California. As a consequence, we'll be signing an executive order that spells that out, more of an iterative framework that recognizes unique characteristics that persist and exist in different parts of the state of California. The governor stopped short of declaring a statewide drought. According to the latest U.S. Drought Monitor report, most of California is in either severe, extreme, or exceptional drought. In the Klamath Basin along the Oregon-California border, 2021 is shaping up to be the driest year in recorded history. Jefferson Public Radio's Eric Newman reports. The Klamath Water Users Association's Ben Duval told a crowd of farmers what to expect for a summer of unprecedented drought last week. But I'd like to say that we're all in this together. In places, there'll probably be just enough water to fight over. Local water managers estimate the 33,000-acre feet going to irrigators is just 8% of what they actually need to farm. The scant water coming into Upper Klamath Lake is also a problem for endangered Lost River and Shortnose suckers, fish that are culturally significant to the Klamath tribe. Downstream in the Klamath River, it's the same story for California's Karuk and Yurok tribes, and two species of salmon that are plagued by disease brought on by shallow, warm water. Amy Cordalis is an attorney for the Yurok tribe. We've been killing our baby salmon year after year after year. And so they can't take much more. Oregon Governor Kate Brown and the state's congressional delegation have pledged financial aid and drought assistance for farmers in the basin. For the California Report, I'm Eric Newman. Consumer advocates are asking state utility regulators to require that the utility PG&E pay ratepayers back for a new multi-billion dollar round of financing the company is putting towards wildfire liabilities. The CPUC is expected to take the issue up today. Mark Tony, executive director of the Utility Reform Network, calls it a bailout. The CPUC needs to guarantee that shareholders are going to pay customers back when customers make the monthly payments on these wildfire bonds. Payments that Tony says will appear on customer bills for the next 30 years. Wildfire smoke may not be just choking on the lungs. It may also irritate the skin. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg has more on a new study from researchers at UCSF and UC Berkeley. Previous research shows a link between skin conditions like eczema and polluted cities. 
Now scientists suggest short-term bursts of wildfire smoke may cause the skin to flare up. During a two-week period of the campfire in 2018, the number of patients seeking medical treatment for itchy skin increased significantly. Pediatric visits increased 90% compared to the same period during earlier years. UCSF's Raj Fadadu is the lead author on the study. Air pollution exposure leads to widespread exacerbation. So it maybe not only affects patients who have pre-existing skin disease, but could have maybe far-reaching outcomes in patients with even healthier skin. Fadadu recommends people stay indoors as much as possible when it's smoky. If you head outside, he advises long sleeves and pants. For The California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere. We're going to turn to the education beat now. L.A. Unified Superintendent Austin Butner is stepping down when his contract expires at the end of June. In a letter to the district's Board of Education, Butner said his time as superintendent was the most rewarding job he's had in his 40-year career. He's headed the state's largest school district since May of 2018. L.A. Times education reporter Howard Bloom tells the California Report Butner's actions during the pandemic may be his lasting legacy. He also decided the district would run its own coronavirus testing program. It's one of the only districts to be doing that. And again, that comes at great potential cost. He did not know if he was going to get reimbursed. It, It did not really end up opening schools faster, but it may yet play a role in building confidence in the safety of schools. But Butner has faced his fair share of criticism as well, particularly over not getting schools open sooner. The board says it'll conduct an extensive search to find a replacement. Low-wage workers in the Bay Area and all around California say their bosses often fail to inform them of their rights during the pandemic and may even retaliate if they ask for COVID-19 protections. That's according to a new survey of more than 600 frontline workers, including in restaurant, home health care, and janitorial jobs. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. California law requires employers to tell workers of the COVID-19-related benefits they may be entitled to. But when Lorena Velasquez took time off to get her vaccine and then recover from side effects, she says her employer at a fast food restaurant in Oakland retaliated and cut her hours in half. Now she's worried about supporting her sons. We've heard a lot that when workers exercise their right to paid leave, Um, or even unpaid leave, they get retaliated against. Alejandra Domenzain is with UC Berkeley's Labor Occupational Health Program. She co-authored the new report that found one in three workers are not comfortable reporting coronavirus symptoms to their bosses, and three in five are not getting information from employers about COVID paid sick leave as required by law. As long as there is no vigorous enforcement of labor laws, employers will continue to violate workers' rights. 
A spokeswoman for the California Department of Industrial Relations says its enforcement agencies have been working hard to investigate workplace complaints. She says Kalosha has issued $4.6 million in citations for safety hazards related to COVID, while the labor commissioner is investigating more than 600 retaliation complaints connected to the pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. That's the California Report for this Thursday, April 22nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Homelessness is on the rise in our state, and the effects are being felt locally. The Sacramento Bee reported today that nearly 100 people are living in a growing encampment in North Auburn. Quote, in early 2020, we were beginning to see increases in homelessness across the county. And as the impacts of COVID-19 progress throughout the year with job losses, evictions, and the impact of social distancing on shelter capacity, the numbers began to rise dramatically. That from Deputy County Executive Officer Becky Riggin. The encampment poses a health and safety risk, according to a county report, because people are living unsheltered near the construction site of one of the county's biggest affordable housing projects. The encampment is close to the future home of more than 78 multifamily rental units on the Government Center on 1st Street in North Auburn. According to a 2020 point-in-time count, there were 740 homeless men, women, and children in Placer County, up 20% from 2019. Of those individuals, more than half were unsheltered, and 256 adults told volunteers that they were chronically homeless meaning that they had experienced four or more episodes of long-term homelessness in the past year. In the regional weather forecast for Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 47. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 70. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 30 degrees. Tomorrow sunny with a high near 61. And for the valley tonight, Woodland and Sacramento will be mostly clear, with a low around 49. Friday will be sunny, with a high near 77. Next, we'll listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, and then Braveheart's. Part 2 of an interview with Tony Beverly. Hi, I'm Christina Abkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House, and the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves, blankets twin size, new pillows, silverware, bottled water, hand warmers, travel bags and duffel bags, brushes, combs and hair ties, toilet paper, paper towels, men's jeans sizes 30 to 36, women's jeans sizes 2 through 18, men and women's shorts, medium to 3XL, men and women's undershirts, men and women's tank tops, women's underwear sizes small, medium and large, men's boxer briefs, sizes medium to 2XL, men's pajama pants, women's loungewear, lightweight, women's casual summer dresses, women's and men's sandals, sizes 9 to 12, men's tennis shoes, sizes 9 to 12, women's tennis shoes, sizes 7 through 9, 
Ensure boost drinks for our guests undergoing chemo and radiation treatments. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place located in Brunswick Basin past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Brave Hearts. Here's part two from the inspirational story of Tony Beverly, KVMR's Husky LePew. So you arrived at Hospitality House, and you are one of the amazing success stories there. So tell us about your experience. Hospitality House is incredible. The people that work there with what they have available. I remember that very first night. I mean, I grew up an Air Force brat, very middle class. My parents were like, I called them the Black Cleavers. <laughs> they didn't cuss, dinner at 6.30, every, they were just bland, very middle. And now did they gamble? No. No. <laughs> no, wow. okay. neither one of them. So I'm standing in line the very first night or afternoon in the hospitality house because you have to breathalyze to prove that you haven't drank before they'll let you stay that night. So you're standing in line waiting to breathalyze, and it's my very first time. I didn't know what to expect. I'm in a homeless shelter. I felt worthless, etc., etc. And I heard a guy, like two people ahead of me in line, telling his friend whose first night it was. He said, this is a five-star homeless shelter. And I remember thinking to myself, what? <laughs> what? What does that mean? What's that mean? Yeah, how could a homeless shelter be five-star? And it really was. They feed you tremendously. you got a place to sleep, safe, shower. They have so much access to services. They helped me get straightened up on Medi-Cal. They hooked me up with the clinic so that I could see my doctor. I have diabetes and other health issues. They hooked me up to get free glasses with the Lions Club. I was going to 12-step programs and talking to people about my depression and my loss and my grief and my shame. And so you were just really busted wide open. Yeah, I was like. below rock bottom. The thing is, I've always been bubbly, happy, never had any kind of death in my family since the eighth grade when my grandmother died. Now I'm 55, losing everybody. It became my home, sort of, even though I hated the routine and hated sleeping in a room with 40 guys and all that that entails and everything. But the people there that work there and volunteer there are just so incredible. So I was looking into getting into rapid rehousing, which is one of their programming. And the first step to that is they usually move you into a shared house with, depending on the size of the house, five, six, seven roommates. And your rent is really cheap, so you can save money and get out, get up on your feet. And... They decided, or somehow they came up with a shared house in Lake Wildwood, which is a exclusive, opulent, yeah. gated community. <laughs> oh, 
two landlords had volunteered to allow this huge, beautiful, million-dollar home to be a shared house. And it was the first time that anything like this had happened, so they kind of handpicked the first group. And since my addiction, my problem wasn't drugs or alcohol or violence, it was as long as I was out of Reno, I was pretty much a safe bet, and I had steady income, so I was a good candidate for this trial. But while I was interviewing to go there, Tom, I can't remember his last name, anyway, one of the counselors, Tom, that was taking my information, he said, you have a great voice, you ever thought about radio? And here's what's weird. When I graduated high school in 1974, in my yearbook, in the part where it says, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wrote, this is the truth, I wrote, I want to be the next Wolfman Jack. (laughs) Fast forward 42 years, homeless, lost, depression, everything, and this virtual stranger says, I know how you can be a DJ. KBMR trains people to be a volunteer DJ. So I'm... I've gone from homeless in six I was there six weeks. I've gone from being homeless to living in a gated, opulent community, a huge, beautiful house. One of the neighbors sold me a Cadillac (laughs) on payments. I gave her three payments before I actually got the car. So fast forward six, seven weeks, I'm in, a, I'm in this beautiful house. I'm taking classes to be a DJ, my lifetime dream. I'm driving a Cadillac, and now, of course, I have my own apartment, and I've been dubbed the most famous ex-homeless person in the county or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But it's, it's been a, I guess I'm like a phoenix. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Today, I'm sorry to say, I told a lie to small children. It wasn't about Santa or the Easter Bunny. My lies are mostly original and have to do with the matter at hand. These two young boys, five and nine, were at my house with their dad, who was fixing the back deck. He had no child care, and I never volunteer as child care. But I do often like kids and tend to want them to like me, which I arrange by giving them something to eat. I know this is wrong, but it works so well. Food and beverage bribery is an ancient art. Yesterday when they showed up, it was hot, and I remembered I had two pomegranate popsicles left in my freezer. I keep popsicles around for emergency binging when I really want coffee ice cream with caramel sauce, but that is another story. I asked their dad, who said sure, and offered the treats, thereby becoming, in everyone's eyes, a nice lady. Today, since the deck wasn't done, they came back, but I was out of popsicles. It's important to cement your lead. I stood around indoors for a while, mulling my options. It was too much work to go to a store for more popsicles. I am not that interested in devotion. But I wanted to offer something. There weren't any chocolate chips or mandarins lying about, and somehow toast, which I regularly feed to a 51-year-old when she comes over, didn't seem to hit the right note. Then I thought of the blueberries I froze last week for smoothies. Well, I said to myself, 
They're almost popsicles, aren't they? Little teeny round blue examples of the species? I asked their dad again. It is poor planning to incur the disapproval of your carpenter friends over any subject at all, and people often have strict food rules for their kids. He said again, sure, and I brought out two little bowls of frozen blueberries. Did you know that frozen blueberries, I said unnecessarily, are how popsicles were invented? The oldest one looked up. Blueberries come from Maine, where they sometimes have freak snowstorms in the summer. This part is true, but extremely rare. A blueberry farmer went out at night to try to save his crops during a snowstorm and tasted the berries to see if they were still okay. They were frozen solid, but also delicious, I said, making it up as I went along. The farmer's name was Ned. He decided frozen fruit would taste very good in summer and started an experiment. Apples weren't that great, and oranges got so hard you'd break your teeth, but orange juice turned out to be perfect. You can't eat juice out of your hand, so he invented a mold to make the juice into a shape and added a stick so it was easier to hold on to. Cool, said the younger kid through purple-stained lips. Do you have any more? If you're going to tell whoppers to an underage audience, the least you can do is give them all your blueberries. Sure, I said. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's tonight's newscast. KVMR is supported by Mama Madrone's Eco Emporium on Broad Street, Nevada City, and online. Offering jewelry, organic bedding, body care, and more. Online store and information, mamamadrones.com. And Food and Juice, fresh food oasis with meals made from organic ingredients with vegan options. Also offering organic wraps, juice, and smoothies made fresh to order. Located on Zion Street in Nevada City. F-U-D-E-N-J-U-C-E dot com. Stay with us. The Climate Report with Martin Webb is next. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening, and happy Earth Day. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.